You're listening to the Radiology News Network, RNN. Welcome to a new episode of the Radiology News Network. And we have been uh, off air for quite some time. But yeah, that's uh, because we're also working as radiologists. So not always time to play around with podcasts. Uh, This time we have a very, very special episode called the RNN Cafe. And actually we're sitting in the COVID period in a more or less empty cafe, but uh, it's just to have the feeling of the normal life. Radiology News Network, RNN. Welcome to the new episode, RNN Cafe, something that's a new feature in this podcast, and hopefully we can do this more often in the future. And we have a special guest today. Here is your host. And the co-host is Omar Hertgers. Maybe you can uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, first. well, thank you for having me, Hildo. Um, so my name is Omar Hertgers. Uh, I'm a radiology resident in the, in the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands. I uh, also have a background in technical medicine in the, in the far past. also finished that. That was in, uh, in Twente. But uh, now uh, training as a radiologist and also doing uh, some research part-time on the site uh, one day in a week but usually as everyone knows who does research it uh, takes more time than <laughs> than you always expect but uh, it's it's a really nice combination I can uh, scratch my technical itch in that sense uh, and I think uh, that's something we want to talk about today as well uh, I guess yeah you're pursuing a PhD in the end yeah yeah hopefully uh, if everything goes uh, good with all the uh, you know, writing all the articles and uh, submissions and uh, hopefully uh, get them all out before uh, I finish here. So that will be the plan. But uh, <laughs> I mean, everyone knows PhDs always take longer than uh, than expected. So hopefully we can try to minimize the uh, the delayments. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's a quite special construction eh, that you're combining yeah. your training as a radiology resident with uh, research yeah. uh, in the same uh, years. So True. You've been on the road now for more than a year. So how does yeah. it feel? Are you fully overstressed? And uh, well, <laughs> stress is a big issue nowadays. Uh, people uh, dropping out uh, due to burnout left and right. But uh, yes, it's, it, I would say it's uh, it has also, it has its advantages and disadvantages. I mean, it's a very nice combination to uh, at least be um, uh, like working with patients. During the day and uh, one day in a week, you're really trying to find, figure out new solutions for issues that you're facing uh, in your uh, clinical practice. So I feel it's a really nice combination of being active in the work field and also trying to uh, find new solutions uh, by doing the research uh, in the other time uh, that you're not in the clinic. So I, I think it's a nice combination. And also one of the advantages is that usually uh, research is being done uh, in a slow pace. So you got to wait until people review your articles. You got to wait for data. You got to, uh, in that off period you can just continue your clinical work so it's a nice combination but uh, definitely it's uh, it takes uh, some good planning and uh, some good uh, yeah what's the word um, uh, management. balance management <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. 
Thank you for tuning in to Radiology News Network. In this episode, we have special focus on AI. Uh, of course, a very hot topic in radiology. And Omar is working on uh, some major projects here in the Leiden University Medical Center in uh, the Netherlands. And uh, we like to discuss uh, a few of these topics. Uh, you will present them also live in more detail at the ECR that has been postponed from March to July next year in 2022. Uh, but maybe you can uh, start by pitching the first topic. Yeah, so um, as you just said, uh, it's it's going to be done in uh, in July 2020, uh, 22, sorry. Um, and we have a couple of abstracts we uh, we uh, we uh, admitted, uh, submitted, and uh, they were luckily all accepted, so that's good. And uh, the first topic I want to actually discuss is, uh, this is actually a thing that's quite relevant now because more and more AI solutions are hitting the market and uh, the idea is always like, okay, if we purchase a package, is it going to be working on our images in our department will it uh, you know work with uh, our our patients our data sets so one of the things that we were looking for is like a selective uh, on-site retraining uh, for efficient performance drop compensation due to that domain shift so the domain shift is basically shifting from uh, a quite uh, synthetic lab environment where the, the the algorithm that is trained is quite performing well but once it hits the the, hit, the real world it goes into a clinic uh, you start using it you see that there is a, a performance drop and so what we were looking together with the team with Philips uh, we were uh, kind of looking for a way to uh, compensate that uh, performance drop and one of the things we were looking at is adding an uh, uh, a smart ensemble layer so basically for people who are not entirely tr- um, uh, uh, familiar with uh, machine learning and also ensemble training, you, uh, it's basically uh, one of the uh, more efficient ways of training a layer is to, uh, sorry, training an algorithm is combining multiple algorithms with each other. So uh, basically, um, uh, the Philips department already uh, had an, an, an algorithm that was trained on uh, large data sets of chest X rays. Um, uh, but once we actually applied that algorithm to uh, LUMC data, for instance, if, if we were looking at uh, pneumothoraxes, the area under the curve performance uh, at the normal training data set was, uh, I think, 0.8 something, and it dropped down to 0.5 when we were applying it to the LUMC data. So that was a quite significant drop. Um, so what we did is basically we used that ensembler layer as like an additional layer uh, added to the... Uh, uh, original algorithm in that sense and f- to train that layer we selected a small group a small amount of images uh, from the from the total images uh, that that were available to us uh, from the LUMC and what we saw is by really selectively annotating like around five six hundred uh, uh, x-ray cases we could basically bump it up back to 0.8 even 0.9 uh, uh, area under the curve uh, so that was for us a quite an, a surprising result because we did not expect uh, that high, uh, that that big drop, but also not that big rise again. So that really shows that uh, this could be a, p- a potential workflow to easily um, make uh, algorithms that, in theory, were really well uh, work really well to make them also work really well in the clinical practice. So yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a solution to get rid of the frustration that you bought a nice algorithm and then in your local situation it just doesn't work. True. I think. I think. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's a big problem. Yeah. True. I think a lot of. Uh, I think a lot of clinical uh, sites are dealing with these issues, uh, and I think. Uh, The, I think what another problem I think also is for a lot of companies is the I guess the approval after that yeah. because I mean um, there are, I think companies go through a lot of headache to get their algorithm or their solution FDA approved uh, or even CE mar uh, mark uh, in, in, and once you start to fill around again uh, the idea is like how are you going to get this new layer or this new um, like performance upgrade how are you going to uh, Yeah, manage that. I don't know if you maybe have some ideas on that. Uh. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting topic. The, the big challenge, of course, is how to integrate this in a normal clinical workflow. For yeah. example, this retraining or adaption of an existing model yeah. to the local quality of pictures. True, yeah. Uh, but I can imagine there are also possibilities to, to include this in a sort of on-the-fly learning in the first few months and then adapt the algorithm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, really great topic. And if we go to your next uh, topic for the... Yeah, so the next topic was um, building on that. Uh, uh, what we also saw is that we wanted to... Actually, uh, the concept of worklist prioritization or even stratification is quite a hot topic as well in the, in the ra uh, radiology AI community. Yep. Um, worklist prioritization is quite handy because then um, it, once you start uh, your working day, all the most important cases will uh, kind of um, float all the way up to the list and you focus on that primarily. So we took that thought and we also were, were thinking about like what would happen if you stratify normal and abnormal cases? Like what, what, what will be the effect on, on like... Uh, For instance, the, the, the reading time. So, so that's what basically we did. We tried to stratify uh, normals and abnormals, and see if you would work quicker or longer. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, again, there uh, the big challenge is how to do this in real life. Uh, yeah. We have a solution where the the PUX also enables us to dictate uh, using speech technology. Uh, that allows to integrate the dictation, the viewing, and also the work list organization yeah. in one system. True. So there it really works. Uh, so uh, what, what we do is we just have a list of normals. Then mm -hmm. we click on that list. We know in advance that these exams are normal. Yeah. So maybe the reading will be quicker. Yeah. Uh, and the next step will be that you have a sort of image overlay where you see the AI annotations on top of the chest X-ray or whatever it is. So that's that's the way to do it. But also here we have a lot of support and uh, ICT people and technical people, and even yeah. then it's really difficult to yeah, yeah, uh, true. to so realize it. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, we we just be uh, so we did this in a, a new concept we called the radiology AI lab. So it's basically an an, an environment a control environment where we simulate uh, a working station uh, a workstation. We simulate basically the reporting environment of a, a normal radiologist, and we. Uh, We look at different parameters. We will look at uh, reading times. Uh, in the future, we're going to track heart rate, heart rate variability, uh, gaze tracking, eye tracking to really get some objective parameters on yep. how is someone perceiving the, his workload? How, how is he perceiving the, this new AI solution? Is it helping? Uh, is he struggling more? And usually people give like a subjective Uh, judgment on it but that doesn't always cover everything sometimes you, you if you really measure if you have an objective measure you can really 
maybe come to surprising uh, uh, yeah. revelations. Yeah. Uh, what is maybe even more important today is that we are not quantifying efficiency and make the reading time shorter so we can do yeah. more work in the same time. I yeah. think we have to forget about that for the next years yeah. and just make the radiologist happy again. Well, we need to really be a gatekeeper for that because uh, if you don't, if you're not careful, I think a lot of... Uh, uh, management people will grab this concept and say like well okay so basically you can do your work in 20 percent in le- uh, less time so uh, that means you can do 20 percent more work uh, if you're working okay. eight hours so yeah this is something uh, yeah i i'm still struggling on finding a, a way to um, uh, put this into the market or like how to convey this message because of course we want to go th- quicker through a, a case but we also want to uh, as you said, we want to have that work pleasure back. We yeah. want to have a uh, better workload. Uh, you know, it's yeah. You know. Yeah, and, and if we zoom into your results for this uh, work list prioritization, normal abnormal, can yeah. you give some numbers? Yeah. So basically, what we did, we have uh, uh, we had two work lists. Both uh, uh, they were uh, they had 100 cases, and these cases were like a case mix. Uh, so they, they had different kinds of pathologies. But basically, on average, we would have 50 normals and 50 abnormals in both lists. Uh, but the first work list of 100 cases was all mixed. So all the normals and abnormals were all mixed. And we on average, uh, took 87 minutes to finish that whole list. And the per case reading time was around 52 seconds. But if you stratified uh, those abnormals and normals in a list of 50 normals and 50 abnormals, we saw that the total working time was only 67 minutes, so a reduction of 22%. And also the per uh, case reading time also dropped down to 41%, uh, 41 uh, seconds. So it... it uh, at first, you would say, okay, these are great results. It's 22% time reduction. That's that's enormous in that sense. But uh, we were kind of wary because perhaps maybe there's like a, a learning effect in coming into play. Maybe we don't have that many hard or maybe the, the, the cases that were hard were really hard and the easy cases could be done quite easily. Maybe... Uh, the, uh, if we make the balance between normal and abnormal differently, maybe we get different results. But for us, by doing this um, experiment, we did see that it kind of opened up the option for the radiology to uh, for the radiologist to shift his focus. So you could normally, if you have a, uh, a case of 100 cases and everything is mixed through each other, you basically you approach every case with the same mindset. But if you would know that, okay, now I'm gonna basically uh, storm through 50 normals then you can basically maybe uh, yeah your mindset will be slightly different maybe a little bit more relaxed uh, you know okay these are all already checked by the ai uh, the chances of something really crazy going on with these cases is quite low so yeah you thank can thank you for tuning into radiology news network yeah great examples of yeah. course uh, and you also had even a third topic that was uh, accepted or uh yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll not go in too deeply into that topic, but it's it's actually quite an interesting thing because um, we all know deep learning has a has a quite big impact on the, on all these medical imaging applications. But the problem is um, these models are going to encounter many different pictures uh, in practice, and it would be nice if the model also could give you a bit of 
an, an indication on how certain or uncertain he is about his prediction. So what we also were lo- uh, looked at is uh, for these pneumothorax cases, we also looked at, okay, how well can we as a radiologist um, determine that it's, it's there? And also, does that um, correlate with what an AI model has as uncertainty? So does high uncertainty correlate with high uh, uncertainty of a radiologist. So, and we did see that that correlation was there. So we did see that for, I think, from the 500 cases, that there were 55 cases that uh, me and my colleague uh, marked as uh, unsure. And um, the, the, those were also uh, having a high uncertainty by the AI model. So you could see there is... So it's, it, I think this is a very good example of using AI... Um, uncertainty as a kind of an extra check for radiologists like okay the AI says it could be a pneumothorax but I have a very high uncertainty so take an extra look yeah yeah so that's also maybe a way to to ease the life of a radiologist yeah exactly I mean you could um, uh, tell him okay focus a bit more on these cases and on the other cases I'm very sure of my case Uh, you can be more relaxed yeah yeah yeah, and then, then more in, in general, eh, besides your uh, interesting results, yeah. uh, like many radiologists, we are uh, heavily interested in the problem of around uh, uh, AI integration yeah. in the clinical workflow, mm-hmm. because we also have many, many uh, tools available, part of research and collaborations with companies, and we all run them differently, local, as a server, mm-hmm. remote, outside of the hospital, uh, maybe fully automatic, maybe with user interaction in a user interface environment. Yeah. So what do you think about uh, yeah the future? Because we cannot keep doing this. No. We are we are ICT experts, yeah. but we cannot expect from everybody in the world to be like that. No, that's true. I, I do feel like um, for AI in radiology to be a success, it needs to be fully integrated. It needs to, and I don't want to like to use uh, other vendors names but it needs to be like an apple experience it needs to be i wouldn't say dummy proof but because uh, there is always this saying there are no dumb users there's only dumb design but i would say you would need to make it really fully integrated otherwise it has no chance of uh, of working out no but yeah. that that's a big a big a big um, challenge for for these companies yeah yeah any other tips for people who are starting with ai as a as a first step what to do how to approach it in what sense exactly? Or yeah, because uh, I know that in, in general hospitals, maybe uh, people are a little bit hesitant or mm-hmm. maybe even afraid to start with AI. So what could be the best application or the best start? Well, I think, um, I think the best thing is just to uh, start. Uh, if there are some packages or there are companies that are approaching you, uh, I would try to maybe try it out and see for in like a small case uh, selection or like a small pilot study, just try it out. If it doesn't work for you, then don't use it. I would say it needs to really, uh, in this, I think we can be quite critical of a lot of, of these solutions because I think a lot of good algorithms, uh, uh, algorithms are being developed, but I feel like a, a few of those are... Um, lacking maybe the clinical relevance so i think try a small pilot see if it works if it does build on that iterate on it and and work from there don't try to be too ambitious or too large just start small yeah yeah really good idea really good tip so 
I think, yeah, to start with AI, you just have to start small. Yeah. Uh, maybe with chest X-ray or anything yeah, else. something like that. Make, yeah. make it simple. Uh, then uh, get an experience. Um, I also think that uh, I was always a little bit jealous about my old bosses because they had uh, ultrasound for the first time, CT, yeah. MRI, nuclear exactly. medicine. Yeah. They had all the toys in the shop True. for the first time. and. But now I think we have one too, of course. Yeah, that's AI. Exactly. I think this is another like, uh, uh, what's the word? Like a disruptive technology that you could use to really change the way we work and the, th- uh, the way we uh, basically do medicine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 So thank you very much uh, for joining this uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for I having me. I uh, think we will repeat that in the future. The RNN Cafe concept. Yes. Maybe more relaxed. Yeah, of course. And, uh, a little bit more laid back. Yeah. And and you already mentioned uh, Apple as a good example of an yeah. intuitive way of approaching uh, innovations. Yeah. And every podcast we end up with uh, innovations lead to leadership. And this time indeed it's from Apple. RNN. Innovation leads to leadership. Everybody uses a laptop and or a smartphone. Is there room for a third category of device in the middle? And we'd like to show it to you today for the first time and we call it the iPad RNN